You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The shadow brokers stock their discount rack with Equation Group bargains. Yahoo's data breach attracts regulatory, investor, and due diligence scrutiny. Yahoo's stolen data is also being offered for sale on the dark web. The U.S. investigation of Russian election influence operations continues, and the U.S. says it's planning some sort of retaliation. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 19th, 2016. Having had small success with the auction they've been trying to run since this past summer, the shadow brokers have now put the equation group code they've obtained on their discount zero-net retail shelf. The code could, if purchased or released, afford various bad actors newly commodified modes of attack. Stolen Yahoo data has now appeared for sale on the dark web. They're initially priced around $300,000, which is on the high side for a data breach, but perhaps not overpriced given the sheer reach and volume of the stolen material. Observers note the data is valuable for either criminal or espionage purposes, fraud or compromise. The former motive, fraud, has appeared and continues to appear in other breaches committed by organized cybercrime. The latter motive, traditionally operating in an intelligence services, can be seen behind earlier enormous breaches like the one achieved at the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. The two markets also touch one another, with criminals sometimes selling to security and intelligence services, and the services sometimes making use of criminal organizations. Looking at the consequences of the Yahoo breach in the marketplace, Yahoo itself faces growing hostile scrutiny from both regulators and investors. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is said to be looking into the breach, as are information commissioners in Ireland and the United Kingdom. The company's stock price has taken its foreseeable hit, and there are multiple reports that Verizon is reconsidering its planned acquisition of Yahoo's core assets. The U.S. telecom giant may back out entirely. At the very least, it seems likely Verizon will expect a steep discount in the ultimate purchase price. Some other notable compromises came to light late last week and over the weekend, although they do seem small potatoes compared to the unfortunate standard set by the Yahoo incident. Turkey's Akbank was targeted via its swift money transfer interface. The bank may be liable for up to $4 million, but it says that no customer information was compromised. It also says that its losses should be covered by insurance. The financial firm Ameriprise inadvertently exposed customer accounts on an internet-connected backup drive. 
LinkedIn has reset 55,000 passwords on its lynda.com online learning platform. Sports site Bleacher Report suffered exposure of an undisclosed number of user accounts in a November hack. Fitness company Pay As You Gym sustained a compromise of some 300,000 customers' data. And successful phishing of more than 100 Los Angeles County government employees may have exposed more than three-quarters of a million citizens' information. Distributed denial of service also remains with us. The skids at Phantom Squad have hit servers for the popular online game Battlefield 1. Expect more of the same as people try out games they receive over Christmas. This is what counts as lulls for a few hackerweight of bad actors. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission continues to work with security and law enforcement agencies to investigate the compromise it sustained over the past year. Recorded Future connected a known criminal Rasputin to the caper. Rasputin is selling a sequel exploit derived from the hack on the dark web. Investigation of Russian hacking of U.S. elections continues, now also goaded on by bipartisan congressional attention. The issues roughly are these. First, few seriously doubt that Russian intelligence services compromised the Democratic National Committee and also made attempts with mixed success on the Republicans. Second, there's a general consensus that the disconnected, state-run elections in the U.S. system were effectively out of reach of direct foreign manipulation. The Election Assistance Commission hack isn't countervailing evidence. That small agency is a voluntary, standard-setting and advisory body and does not run voting. Third, and most interestingly, how WikiLeaks actually received the emails perceived as so damaging to the Clinton campaign remains less clear. As recently as November 17th, U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper told the House Intelligence Committee that, as highly confident as the intelligence community is that Russian services successfully compromised the DNC, quote, as far as the WikiLeaks connection, the evidence there is not as strong and we don't have good insight into the sequencing of the releases or when the data may have been provided. We don't have as good insight into that, end quote. Theories as to how WikiLeaks got the emails include They got them from the Russian security services. WikiLeaks explicitly denies this. They got them from a group that was fronting for Russian security services. They hacked into the DNC themselves. This is mostly journalistic a priori speculation. Or they got them from a disgruntled DNC insider. Reports alleging this generally point to a disgruntled supporter of Senator Sanders' failed campaign for the Democratic nomination. In any case, investigation proceeds. As far as the Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear intrusions into the DNC are concerned, the best guess is that they were accomplished through phishing. Indeed, last week someone involved in DNC network security attributed the successful compromise to his own mistyped instructions. Such highly targeted phishing, spear phishing, whale phishing, is expected to continue into 2017 because, well, it works. This past year's Verizon data breach report concluded that about 30% of phishing messages are opened by the mark less than four minutes after receipt. The CyberWire heard from Plixer CEO Mike Patterson on the risk of phishing and what can be done to mitigate it. He advises testing and anomaly detection. Quote, All organizations should continually test employees by sending phishing attacks to internal users. These test emails alert security teams about employees who clicked a link thinking it was safe when they should have deleted the message. Security teams should also use NetFlow to baseline end-user behaviors and trigger for abnormal traffic patterns like a jump in the transfer of data. 
If security isn't monitoring for these types of behaviors, they can slip right past defenses. Detailed attribution of the DNC incidents, suitable for, say, an indictment, is of course different from a well-founded intelligence conclusion, and here U.S. authorities have been explicit and forthcoming. They see the activities of Fancy Bear and Cozy Bear, as the GRU and FSB have come to be known in cyberspace, as a direct Russian influence operation intended to influence the U.S. election. U.S. President Obama, in the last month of his presidency, faces growing pressure to do something. He's indicated that he intends to, and that the response will be proportional. There's no shortage of experts weighing in on what proportional ought to mean, with many of them suggesting that some goose sauce in the form of transparency be ladled back onto Mr. Putin and his senior colleagues in the Russian government. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Israel Mursky. He's a researcher and project manager at the Cybersecurity Research Center at Ben-Gurion University. Israel, you've been uh, doing some research on some vulnerabilities with the 911 system, the emergency response system. What can you tell us about that? Sure. So a little bit of background first. So the emergency response system, i.e. the 911 uh, services, has saved countless lives since it was implemented in 1968. And the system has since evolved in what's referred to as the E911 system, which is the enhanced 911 system. And the enhanced 911 system enables police, fire, and medical service to be reachable from a single network. It's its own kind of separate private network from the telephony network, but bridged over. So when you dial 911, it routes your call directly to this emergency services network. But... The real issue is that, unfortunately, the E911 system is a circuit switch system, which means unlike the Internet, which is packet switched, 
which is it can bring over a lot of a large amount of data very efficiently. Circuit switch systems are resource limited. In other words, when you make a call, it ties up the entire line. So this is a serious problem because uh, there's a certain kind of a denial of service attack called a TDoS attack, in which the attacker makes continuous calls to the service, in other, in other words, the call center, and ties up, ties up all the lines, thus denying service to legitimate callers. So we performed extensive simulations on models of the United States existing E911 infrastructures, and we found that it would only take about 6,000 infected smartphones to effectively TDoS uh, the state of North Carolina, and or approximately 0.0006% of the U.S. population to TDoS the entire country. And we shared this information with the U.S. Department Homeland of Defense, uh, and which then in turn shared it with uh, NENA, which is the uh, National Emergency Number Association. And uh, their response was pretty much said that we're pretty optimistic. In other words, that uh, they feel that even the situation is more dire than we uh, than we expected. And you know, it may even sound kind of like fiction, but uh, in the last a few months ago, or right after our publication, a man from Arizona posted a link on Twitter, which caused iPhones to repeatedly dial 911. And thousands of people who clicked this link caused uh, T-doses across the nation. So to make this even more serious, I know I keep on building up on this, but <laughs> we found uh, another attack uh, or variant of the malware uh, in our labs uh, with uh, Mordechai Guri and Professor Yuvalovich, uh, a version of the malware that is unblockable. And basically what it does is it hides its network identifier uh, to the network or basically randomizes it, thus preventing it from being blacklisted or blocked at the entry to the network or at the uh, call centers themselves. So we've published all sorts of different countermeasures uh, of how to possibly try and mitigate this uh, kind of threat, but we're still kind of we're still actively looking for a better solution, perhaps uh, within the next generation 911 systems being deployed uh, currently. Are there any plans on the horizon to update the 911 system so it wouldn't be vulnerable to these sorts of attacks? Well, the main issue is that, uh, uh, at least the more severe kind of uh, malware variant, relies on the fact that the FCC uh, put out a ruling that all calls, whether they have an identifier or not, be forwarded to the nearest uh, call center in case of emergency. And this is a very useful feature because you have families uh, or, or, or victims of abuse who have these kinds of free phones that have no identifiers within them, and they can place calls uh, to abuse hotlines to uh, request help. They have to basically make a decision. Either they have to uh, block all these what's referred to as NSI calls and therefore stop the service and try to find some other solution, or they have to enable it and thus allow the possibility that anybody can try and call without an identifier on the network and place a 911 call. It's kind of like the case where your phone hasn't quite registered on the network yet or doesn't have a SIM card in yet, yet it can still place 911 calls. That kind of idea, but a little more uh, advanced. Israel Mursky, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.